The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. So how do you make money from investing in a business or even creating a business? In New Zealand, we've gotten used to only certain types of businesses being successful or easy to really grow. Often, over a couple of hundred years, it's been mostly around farming, so dairy farming, sheep farming. And of course, over the years, we've gotten quite good at uh, growing grapes and creating wine and catching fish and all that stuff, but it's still very agricultural and relies on having access to a chunk of land, a bunch of people growing the stuff, getting a bank to lend you money, and then going overseas and selling it. And we have this myth as a country that the backbone of the economy is all of these dairy and sheep and beef farms and all of these places growing bits of salmon and wine, they're the backbone of the country. And that's where we should focus all our energy and investment because that's the only way we can do it. And that's where the easy money is. And that's where the growth is. But what happens when you run out of land that you can use to plonk another irrigated dairy farm? Or you can't really grow grapes on that side of the mountain. Or maybe you've just fished as much as you can. Where How do you grow in this country without doing the farming? Well, we've gone down the track of uh, encouraging tourists to come here. That worked well, although there are plenty of environmental issues with that. And the jobs it creates tend to be quite, well, low quality, to be frank, and uncertain and quite ephemeral. It's pretty hard to say, you know, I've got a career in being a barista uh, in New Zealand. So where else can we grow high quality jobs, lots of really well-paid jobs, we're talking 100K plus, where you have a lot of flexibility, where you're not being exploited, where you maybe don't have to get up at three in the morning and then get crapped on by a cow. What type of investments and jobs could we build? Well, software as a service has been one of the fastest growing parts of our economy, and it does it in quite a low-key way. Now, we know some of the huge success stories, like, for example, Zero. That really was year zero for this industry, and it spawned a whole bunch of others, including Vend and Timely, and a whole bunch both in Wellington and in Auckland, and now they're starting to catch on and grow in various places. And what's interesting is the scale is really starting to take off, and it's being done in an interesting way, away from the normal channels for growing businesses and finding investments to help grow those businesses. Because in New Zealand, we've sort of worked out that the lowest risk, least volatile way to invest your own money 
is to buy your own house to start with. And if you're lucky enough and can get a bank to lend you enough money, go and buy someone else's house as well, maybe four or five. Get hold of the inevitable, explosive, leveraged tax-free gains on residential land. And Bob's your uncle, you're extremely rich. But not everyone can do that, particularly if you can't afford a deposit to start with or you haven't married into it or managed to get some passed down from a relative. Where do you invest your money? Well, for a lot of people, it's meant going into something like sharesies or hatch, putting lots of bits and pieces of money into listed companies or exchange-traded funds or heaven help us some sort of crypto. But there are other types of investments out there and other investors who are doing some really interesting things. They're not necessarily accessible to everyone, but it's worth knowing about these networks of investors and where they're putting their money. And there's a fantastic example we can point to this week. It's a company called Henry. Now, you may think that's spelled H-E-N-R-Y, and it normally is, but the company Henry is H-N-R-Y. .co.nz. It's a software as a service company servicing people who are sole traders. They launched in 2017 out of Wellington, literally with the sweat of the co-founders, who are James and Claire Fuller, who built this thing, tried it out, and over 2017 and 2018 worked out that they could service those people who are sole traders who maybe you don't want to spend money on four or five different services from an accountant, from a, an accounting software company to a payments company to uh, lots of time spent building a spreadsheet and working out how much your taxes and then paying an ID. A real pain in the proverbial if you're a sole trader. 2017 and 2018, they grew and they managed to access some investment from the angel investment groups that there are in New Zealand. These are people who maybe have a bit of spare money, like to put it into some quite highly speculative companies, most of which will fail, but hopefully one or two of them out of every 10 will be a success. That extra money, about 100K to start with in 2018, was then built up. And by 2019-2020, Henry was really starting to fly. And that's where it did something interesting. It managed to impress a bunch of venture capitalists, in particular in Australia. And over the last four years or so, Henry has raised $60 million in fresh investment money to grow their business as a place to help sole traders. Now, you may think gee, sole traders, um, there can't be many of those. They can't be very wealthy. And uh, that doesn't sound like it's going to make too much money. Well, even in Australia and New Zealand, we have 2 million sole traders. And as it turned out, Henry launched just really before lockdown. And that's been one of the really strong growth areas in our economy, the extra number of people who are in what you'd call the gig economy, freelancers, contractors, People who are one-person bands out there having to learn how to do the invoicing and the tax paying and all of that stuff, knowing they can't really afford an entire accounting contract and being able to use something like Henry to do it. And the growth has been explosive. They've done a really good job of providing the service that they're looking for. And they're now up to 60 people, many of whom are on pretty... Good jobs. 
often very flexible, lots of different places, not necessarily having to live in the uh, high-cost areas of central Wellington and central Auckland, and working to earn export revenues for the country. Because actually, the dirty little secret of New Zealand business is that we're not very good at exporting or importing. We have this view that we're a very feisty little nation of exporters down the bottom of the country, and we're a great number eight wire innovators who are forever conquering the world with our products. Actually, we're not that good at it. In fact, if you look at the share of our economy generated by export, it has been pretty flat for about 30 years, and is less than a third of the share of other countries our size, for example, like Ireland, Norway, Singapore, those countries are much more internationally exposed and it means that wages are growing faster, they're wealthier, and they don't have quite so many of the problems that we now have with very high costs and also, frankly, low wages relative to those costs. So how do you solve that problem? How do you increase your exports? How do you get better, higher wages and not pollute the environment at the same time? Well, software as a service is, is a way to do it. And we're at the point now where our IT businesses, and that's a fairly broad definition, including technology companies like Fisher & Paykel Appliances, uh, those companies are now our second largest export earner. So we think of Fred Dagg and the farmers as the backbone of the nation. Well, actually, maybe it's software as a service that's going to be the backbone of the nation that generates lots of high-paid jobs and that doesn't involve polluting a water table and uh, potentially exploiting a bunch of tourist students and backpackers. That's an opportunity. So digging a bit deeper, I wanted to find out how do we funnel capital to these sorts of companies? Who's doing it? And what is it involved? So in this week's When the Facts Change, we talked to Jackie Vullings, who is a partner at Airtree, one of Australia's most active venture capital firms. She looks after uh, the investments Airtree does in New Zealand and was heavily involved in the capital raising this week of another $35 million for Henry. We talk about the business of venture capital, how you have to cope with eight out of every 10 of your companies not being a success, and what it takes to be a successful software-as-a-service company, why New Zealand seems to be doing quite well at it. This week on When the Facts Change. Well, kia ora to Jackie Vullings, to the podcast When the Facts Change. Jackie is a partner at Airtree. Jackie, um, you're talking to us from Australia. Could you talk about what Airtree is and what you do? So Airtree is a venture capital fund. And what we do is we invest in startups right at the beginning of their journey. So um, a third of the companies we invest in, it's, it's a good idea on the back of a napkin. It's um, an early prototype. It's people who are looking to build global technology businesses, um, but based from either New Zealand or Australia. And tell us about um, how involved Airtree is in investing in uh, companies here, and in particular, how it uh, works with them to grow, sometimes internationally. Yeah, so we've made seven investments in New Zealand in the last few years. Um, so we're actively investing. We, th we think Kiwi founders are some of the best in the world. Um, and what we like to do is essentially we invest money, but we also bring to you our talent network, our network of advisors, our network of people who have been there and seen it and done it. 
as well as kind of playbooks for how to how to build your company. So, Jackie, tell us about Henry, um, spelt H N R Y. Tell us about um, how you found Henry and what is it about Henry you think's worth putting quite a lot of money into? Yeah, so um, we met Claire and James uh, back in 2019. I was having a look at um, technology, like financial technology for SMBs um, with the idea that there were a bunch of new consumer financial companies being built, technology companies, but I hadn't seen anything around SMBs. And I, I was investigating, you know, is, is there something interesting that could be built here? Um, and during that research, I found Henry um, and connected with uh, James and Claire then. And since then have been kind of building a relationship with them, getting to see them go from strength to strength. I think, you know, what they've been able to do is take their lived experience as sole traders and translate that into a product which isn't just fancy tech for the sake of it, but actually solves real problems by taking the headache of tax away from sole traders. We do it with you. Um, and that insight has translated into incredible customer engagement and growth. So you have a look at that, you know, VCs love metrics and we love seeing how customers are using the product and do they log in every day and how long do they stay around for and um, Henry has some of the best in the world at that. So um, we got really excited when, when we saw those metrics and how much customers love the product. And that translates through to revenue growth, through to kind of capital efficiency. We, um, yeah, what they've done is been pretty extraordinary. Could you explain for people how software as a service businesses grow and how you know of good one from a bad one? <laughs> sure. Um, so software as a service is really... Um, software that, that customers will pay for on a recurring basis. So um, they pay either monthly or annually or on a by usage basis um, to get access to that software over time rather than buying it up front as used to be the model kind of a few decades ago. And those businesses, um, you know, they, they grow by targeting customers who could use the product and getting those customers to pay for it. The, uh, the very best ones are able to... Um, find those customers cheaply and then earn more and more of them from them over time. The great thing about that business model is um, if you have happy customers, you're a more successful business. It's not about extracting value from people. It's about giving them value. And as a result, kind of growing your business in the same time. And how much of a factor is it that you can uh, build some software, attract some people, often do it in a a non-physical, non-expensive, they're sort of doing the work of setting themselves up and training themselves and all of that. It's obviously a lot of work to show them how to do it and to make sure the software works. But uh, how much of a factor is it that you know, once you've got a good product and you've got great word of mouth and the uh, thing starts to get a roll on, um, you could very quickly get some big numbers, not just in terms of users, but in terms of revenues, because unlike in another type of business, you know, mining business or a tourism business, um, the extra costs of having an extra person on, there's nowhere near the cost of, of uh, actually bringing them onto the platform. Yeah. I mean, the, there's a reason why many of the biggest success stories in venture capital and and company growth globally has been software as a service businesses and it's for exactly that reason the cost of serving your second customer is, is close to zero and serving your 3000th customer is close to zero 
So really, you build the technology um, and each customer just adds to that revenue at super high gross margin. Um, so it's an amazing business model if you can get it working. Um, and, you know, businesses like Zero in New Zealand, uh, Canva in Australia um, have been able to build very, very large businesses very quickly as a result. And in New Zealand, you know, Zero is the, you know, ground zero, so to speak, of uh, the SaaS success stories in New Zealand and has spawned a whole bunch of other businesses that have come out of the founders and the, uh, the early employees there. Um, you know, we've heard the likes of Vend and Timely and, and the likes. Is there something in the water in uh, New Zealand that means we're good at SaaS or is just this is happening all over the world and we just happen to get lucky with a few ideas? I think Kiwis are more entrepreneurial than the average person. If you think about, um, you know, lots of people in New Zealand are founders of their own businesses, whether their, their business is, uh, they're a farmer or they're a tradie, like it's, um, it's in the water that, that the thing you choose to do after you leave school is often start your own business. That's very different in much of the rest of the world. And I think as a result, there's a, a resourcefulness and a willingness to go against the grain that um, means that you, you see kind of ambitious and resourceful founders come from New Zealand. And we have this um, national myth in this country that um, we can only survive through the money that we earn from exports. And in the past, that's been an awful lot of cows and sheep. <laughs> and there's still quite an, a lot of money spent on trying to build that industry. Um, but I wonder how much growth is there or could there be for New Zealand as an economy if we were to develop lots more of these SaaS businesses, which almost by their nature, have to be competitive internationally and have to be of a scale that um, uh, they can grow real fast and be real big and and pay decent salaries to lots of people uh, um, and in a way not have to uh, smelt down some steel or uh, carve up a piece of land or um, uh, do an awful lot of herding of cows and sheep. Well, I may be wrong on this, but I think I read the other day that um, technology is New Zealand's second biggest export. So you may you may be getting there already. Um, That's partly because our previous second biggest export tourism got absolutely <laughs> slaughtered. And the third biggest one, which was international education, also got hammered in COVID. So they might come back. But you are right that there is um, a surprising amount of growth and scale and high-value jobs in technology exports uh, in New Zealand that maybe a lot of people don't know about, in part because there is this, again, national myth that all we do is grow uh, butter and uh, wool and meat, when actually the, the numbers, in terms of numbers of employees and the scale of the export receipts are growing to a large level and uh, growing very fast. So I, I wonder, you know, how 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 much room there is for New Zealand to grow? Or do we just not have enough people who are skilled enough and, you know, we're always going to be maybe a little bit behind the curve because we're not right in the middle of these big population centres and capital pools like California or Australia? Well, one of the amazing things about software as a service businesses is you can target customers all over the world but be based anywhere in the world. And I think you don't need to be where everybody else is to be selling to those people. And that's one of the most exciting things about the business model. And that's how, you know, you have an R&D team based in Auckland who's selling to customers paying you in US dollars from New York. Um, 
which is which is brilliant um, and and so positive for um, countries all over the world, not just New Zealand. But um, I think the the dream is that you can create more and more of these high value jobs, um, keeping money in the country um, and keeping jobs in the country uh, while competing globally. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank's Chief Economist, Jared Kerr, on what's happening with inflation in 2024. Globally, inflation rose to really high levels. We saw inflation averaging over 10% uh, last year. Now central banks have reacted. They've tightened monetary policy. They've lifted interest rates to levels where it hurts. We've seen growth slow down and we're seeing inflation coming off, which is great news because we import a lot of inflation from the rest of the world and that imported inflation is easing. So half the job that we're trying to do locally is is being done for us offshore. The other half, the domestic bit, well, that's the tough bit. That's the sticky inflation that's coming out of a housing market, it's coming out of construction, it's coming out of service industries, and it's going to be hard to contain. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Jared and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Why is New Zealand of interest to an Australian venture capital fund? Because I'm guessing there are plenty of entrepreneurs asking for some help in Australia. Um, Is it possible that we maybe don't have quite the competition from venture capitalists, because we don't have an awful lot of them, or investors, because they're all busy buying brick and tile rentals? Does that make New Zealand slightly attractive from a venture capitalist point of view and that maybe there's not quite so many, so much competition and maybe you can be a little more um, disciplined and with your capital? I actually think there's more competition in New Zealand than there is in Australia at the moment. Um, the right. NZGCP's Elevate Fund has uh, funded a bunch of early stage uh, VC funds in the last couple of years. And, and as a result, I think it's kind of never been a better time for early stage founders because there are lots of VC funds out there trying to invest in in software companies, building global businesses and, and deep technology companies, um, building you know, innovative new technology coming out of the research from, from Kiwi University. And one of the things that venture capital firms do is build up a company from 
you know, maybe a, f- a million, a few million dollars up to, you know, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue to the point where it's very, very clear to um, less involved investors that this is going to be a success. And it often involves uh, a sale at some point to uh, maybe another, what they call trade buyer, which is where, you know, another competitor in that space is buying it out. Or there's an actual listing on a stock market. Uh, How um, attractive uh, or possible is it for New Zealand companies to list if that's the way they want to go um, in this part of the world? The ideal situation as a founder is you get to choose. You build a great business and you get more choices. Um, That means you can choose to list in New Zealand, you can choose to list in Australia, you can choose to list on the NASDAQ if you wanted to. And I think that's the dream. That's that's what we're shooting for when we invest in companies. We're not interested in companies that are going to build small businesses and sell them in three years. That's, that's not what we're here to do. We're here to we're here to invest in people who want to build category defining global businesses that are worth billions of dollars um, ten years time from now. And is there an issue in New Zealand where maybe we we think a bit small in that um, there is a certain type of business developer who really only wants to get it <laughs> to, to you know, five or six people and then flick it and go to the beach. Uh, uh, do we maybe need to be a bit more um, aggressive and braggy and um, keen for global domination? One of the great things about Kiwi founders is they almost always think globally from day one just because the home market is quite small. Um, I think you have more of a tendency for Kiwi founders to think global straight away and, and, and build their sales and marketing and build their product um, straight away for uh, for the global market. And I think actually that makes it more likely to um, to build a great, huge business that is worth those billions of dollars over time. But I mean, also, you know, venture capital isn't for everybody. Like You can build a normal business. <laughs> That's um, you know, 99% of businesses will be kind of have five to 100 employees and uh, the, the the entrepreneur is seeking ways to kind of increase profits and work less. And, and that's fantastic. And I think that is kind of the bedrock of business. We're just doing this other thing, which is very fast growth to a very large scale, largely driven by technology. How has the industry changed or the appetites for investment changed in the last you know, six to 12 months when you know uh, interest rates are rising globally, There's been uh, a bunch of uh, layoffs in some tech sectors and the um, general perception is that venture capitalists are being a little bit more cautious, maybe not so um, splurgy. Uh, What's your impression of how things are going? If you look at it over kind of longer timescales, there was kind of 20, probably 2009 through to 2020 was this kind of linear upwards growth in startups created and startups funded. And then 2021 was this kind of insane money is free. Everybody's investing in everything and valuations got completely crazy. And then 2022 looks like a big reset versus 2021. But actually, if you look at it versus 2020, it's still kind of up. Um, And I think what we're seeing at the moment is um, for Seed Series A, there's pretty much been no change. Um, There's lots of money out there lots of dry powder for, from venture capital funds that have been raised in the last two years, people are investing. 
I think if you're kind of Series B onwards, um, if you've got metrics like Henry does, fundraising isn't hard. <laughs> but I mean, there's definitely been for, for most businesses, it's it's definitely more difficult than it was in the last two years since COVID. And I think um, yeah, we've been advising the businesses that we work with to really focus on capital efficiency. Make that runway last as long as you can. You can still, you know, growth is still important. But growth on strong unit economics is is more important. And just uh, just finally, um, how do you, as a investor business person, cope when you're essentially in a game where for every ten investments you make, eight of them, roundabout, are going to fail, and it's the two that succeed spectacularly that mean at the end of the day you're doing. Uh, better? Because a lot of investors, when they think of investing, basically want all of their investments to go up and for it not be too too volatile. And they don't like it when they lose things. So how do you cope with, you know, eight of your babies, so to speak, um, not growing up? Yeah, look, it's emotional. <laughs> um, I think we'd be sad if eight of the businesses failed. But along the along the lines of, you know, it's one or two of the 10 that will be um, extremely successful. That's definitely the case. Um, daily, venture capital is kind of a weird career and you have to develop an extremely long-term mindset and you have to get used to losing more frequently than you win. Um, and so all of it is kind of an exercise in, in mastering your monkey brain. And I'm still, I feel like I'm still on that journey. <laughs> <laughs> mastering the monkey brain seems like the main task in this day and age. Yeah. Uh, I'll let you know when I figure it out. Jackie Vullings, who is a partner at Airtree, thank you so much for being on When the Facts Change. Thanks for having me. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.